Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 123 and we're interviewing Samantha. How are you doing, Samantha? I'm doing good. How are you, Jim? I'm doing well. Glad to be interviewing you. So let's yeah, dive in and get started. Tell me about your childhood. Okay. Um, my name is Samantha. I'm 31. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska for a little background information. But um, I've grown up in Omaha, Nebraska, and I am the oldest of three kids. Um, so I grew up uh, a caregiver and taking care of um, everyone, and that kind of is important because it plays in the why were you taking care of everyone? Where were your parents? Um, so let me, uh, uh, my mother has a developmental disability um, and a traumatic brain injury from a head trauma. So she operates, it's like having like a 16 year old girl. My mom okay. is a best friend or is, is a mom. And uh, that, so it's like growing up with like a sister, you know, not having per se your typical mother role you know whatever um and uh my dad has always drank he's always had an alcohol problem um prescription medication problem so he was usually drunk and when he wasn't passed out drunk uh uh he would be hitting us uh throwing furniture uh, having a fair, just all kinds of stuff that, you know, um, is traumatic to be honest. And so yeah, absolutely. Um, looking back at that, it's pretty crazy, you know? Yeah. I, um, I didn't realize how strong addiction can play in like genetics. Uh, it certainly follows down in uh, families. So um, I graduated high school in 2008. I was top of my class and was on the Bellevue West dance team and uh, got all A's and um, I really loved school. Um, I was bullied quite a bit growing up. Everyone had short hair. (laughs) So so I don't, real quick, I don't know. Going, going back, going back just a minute, what kind of abuse yeah. was your, what was your dad doing? Was he just hitting you and stuff? No. And, um, like the, now that I'm older, I, I've tried, I've, I've worked on forgiveness, um, physical abuse, emotional, sexual verbal, spiritual, um, sorry, I, uh, I remember, um, one of his, like, one of the times that he was really, really drunk, he threw a, like, a, uh, what is that called, like, chairs that you put your feet up on, is it Ottoman? Yeah, I think an Ottoman, yeah. Yeah, he threw an ottoman. I was 14 because um, his drinking got really bad when I started in high school. So 
um, that's when I started to experiment with substances. Like I would take, you know, like, a, like I'd be like 12 years old and like take a wine cooler or a beer out of the fridge or whatever. Uh, that, that's very young. What, what was the reason you were reaching for the wine cooler? Did you know that I was going to get you drunk? I don't. I don't think I understood what being drunk really meant when I was younger. I just knew that I did not want to be yelled and screamed and cussed at and hit. And um, we didn't have electricity half the time. We, um, it was really rough. I'm thankful that both of my maternal grandparents um, were there for us kind of like a second mom and dad uh like really we would run I would run to their they lived two miles away so I'd run to their house whenever um things got bad at home and that was all the time I don't think I knew that it was gonna get me drunk I think the wine coolers just tasted good I mean they still do but mm. you know what I mean um I just remember being very young and thinking my dad was really mean and being scared of him and not sure why he was acting the way he was. Like I have grown up with so much screaming and yelling. I can't stand confrontation. Now I still don't like it. I still get, get triggered, but I grew up with, um, he, he started with alcohol abuse and then moved on, but that's what I grew up seeing. So I guess I thought no big deal if you have a wine cooler or whatever. How are you doing in school? How was Did I you, doing in school? Yeah, you said you got good grades and everything? Yes. Um, so I actually got to start school when I was three because I passed all the tests early like um now they make a cutoff age like I wouldn't be able to go to school that young now but um so I was 13 turning 14 when I went to high school and that first year I think the lowest grade I had was one d and one c and the rest were a's and then um sophomore year um I decided school's the only thing I can control in my life. So while like that's the only thing I felt I was good at was school, even though um, I danced ballet my whole life um, and things like that. So I was like in the high ability learners in the honor society. Um, like I said, I graduated top 10% of my class, um, went to nursing school. So I did really good in school. Um, how was your social life during school? Because one of the things I've heard from people who their parents were addicts was they were afraid to have friends over and it affected their, you know, friendships. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I didn't really bring friends home first off because my dad, all he did was yell and scream like, he doesn't know how to talk nice. Like, um, 
and I couldn't have friends over because he'd always be lounging around in his underwear and it was so weird um, and uncomfortable and I didn't want my friends uh, seeing a dirty house or asking why my dad was stumbling all over the place or just knowing anything. It wasn't until high school um, that I brought a friend over, but her dad was a crack addict. So we shared something mutual that she understood. Uh, I still don't like bringing people around him and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it affected um, friendships growing up. Like people would call the house, you know, back in the 90s to see if I was home and, yeah. you know, they could hear in the background screaming and um, I think, yeah, I think it affected me a lot. Yeah, well, friendships are important. Um, I don't really have friends now, to be honest. I feel like it's hard to find good people out there. Yes, that's definitely, yeah, no, that's definitely a thing is finding, I mean, that's one of the most important things I think in recovery is your community. Kind of it is. Um, Good old fashioned saying, you are who you surround yourself with. I think that's really true. If you hang out with idiots, you're going to do dumb things. If you hang out with people that are a little wiser, you're less likely to get in any type of trouble. Ah. Uh, Absolutely. I can, part of my story has to do with hanging around the wrong people. And that's so true. My grandpa used to say that. And I always thought it was silly until I got older and realized, yeah, uh, pretty much the company you keep. Kind of. I always tried to fit in. I never, I didn't have like a group of friends. I kind of just floated around. I didn't really, because I was friends with everyone. I was nice to everyone. Like, I don't like being mean or confrontation or um, drama or any of that. Um, drinking and alcohol and drugs led me to a lot of um, problems that I don't think I, no, not think, I know I wouldn't have gone through if I hadn't but I made it out <laughs> what kind of okay. things would you do uh, okay for example so I started smoking marijuana when I was 13 and I was hanging out with a bunch of 18 year old boys and I thought the only way to get love was not to be promiscuous but I guess I thought it was normal looking back it wasn't like my uh my dad didn't look out for me at all he just well he just really didn't he just really wasn't there but um just the I think seeking the attention of older boys and older people was not good because that's who brought like substances around do you, think, do you think you were trying to replace your dad's love with love from other people? 
Oh God, absolutely. I struggle with codependency and all kinds of things. And I, I know parents do the best they, they can. Like I said, I can't sit there and blame him for everything. Um, yeah, I always looked for attention from older people. Um, I remember I was 15 years old and I was a sophomore um, and I decided to go party that night, smoke some weed, drink, got into a car with a drunk driver. This was October 21st, 2005. Um, we got into a car accident and I broke 30 bones. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, and that plays a role in the addiction too. Um, but uh, I broke my neck and my spine and I was in the pediatric intensive care unit for two weeks. And um, I almost, like I really almost died um, and no one else got hurt. And um, I had like a whole dance career set up. Well, you break the back, can't be on the high school dance team or and you can't do ballet. And so that, that was the one thing I was passionate about besides school that I was good at. So when that got taken away, um, you know, it'd be like if you weren't able to podcast all of a sudden or, you know, like something you were really passionate about. Um, And so I struggled with, and I still do struggle really bad with severe chronic pain. Um, But I looked to alcohol and weed at the time. That was all I was doing um, to cover up that pain, cover up the pain at home. Um, I got in trouble for fist fighting when I was 17. I hate fighting. Um, and I threw the first punch. I don't know what happened. It was, so lots of partying, sneaking out at night. I still. You still what? Um, I still got straight A's. Still okay. worked hard. Um, I don't know how I managed to do that because I was getting high and drunk almost every day and going to school like that. I'm just being so blatantly vulnerable and honest here. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess those are like the mild, like in my youth, that's what hanging around and ordered. I was really young. Like I trust everyone and I did then and you know, I thought, you know, no one's going to hurt me. You know, these boys are nice. No, no. <laughs> um, it led to sexual assaults and all that before I was 18. So I think um, I just a lot of drinking weed. At that time, drinking your favorite thing to do back then. In high school, it was. Um, do you like remember what you felt like? Do you remember what you felt like when the I first drank? time you ever did it? Well, the first time you ever oh, did sure. it, do you remember what well, you felt like? I was thirteen, and um, it was the first time I drank and smoked weed, and um, I had some Jello shots. And that made me feel like euphoric. 
slightly dizzy. Um, and then when I smoked the weed, like, I don't even remember very much, to be honest with you, uh, except that I couldn't hold my head up. And there was, like, I was riding around in a car and the music was bumping. And, like, um, I just remember being at a party and thinking, like, oh, so this is what it's all about. It made me super sleepy and just black out, to be honest. <laughs> um, later the next day uh, a bunch of football players got caught somehow my name got leaked out so my parents took me out of school and took me to the doctor's office and I was grounded for four months after it came back positive for marijuana like like truly um like no one in my family had done any drugs per se until I came along I mean alcohol is a drug but um it was bad. I remember letting, I remember feeling so let down, but, um, it made me happy. It lasted a really long time. I remember being happy when it wore off just cause I didn't know anyone. Like it was so unsafe. I didn't know anyone at this party. And I was just like blindly putting my life and safety in people's hands. It's crazy. Yeah. Looking back, it is, you know, we all do. We all, I think we all have things we look back upon. We're like, I can't believe I did that. Oh, yes. I have lots of them. Yeah. Um, learning experience. <sighs> did you have any other learning experiences while you were young and drinking? Well, um, I, I don't know like how much to say, like, I don't want to bore anyone. I don't want to, I don't also don't want to be too graphic, but, uh, I remember I was like 14 and was at, like, I was partying every night over the summer with like my best girlfriend. Uh, her dad was a crack addict and she had an older brother that was 19 at the time. So we were hanging around his older friends, um, and drinking with them. So when I got raped, at 14 and my virginity taken away that way um that set up like the cycle for domestic violence and narcissistic abuse um not loving myself thinking I was only good for carnal pleasures or you know whatever um I uh, guess that's my youth to sum it up in a nutshell. And that was all before 18. That was only the first five years. That's crazy. It's been almost 20 years. Um, so those are, those are the biggest experiences. Um, once I got into that car accident, man, that changed my life. Uh, but so did all those events. So those were the biggest, um, I guess you could say, events in my youth. Yeah, oh, was... When I got in trouble for fist fighting, I was on probation and they made us do diversion and we would still drink every night on it. Like we figured out a way to 
like stop drinking at midnight and then you'd sober up for the you know the breathalyzer and so like we had a problem then we just I guess it was quote-unquote normal because everyone was drinking and smoking weed and staying out all night you know so at that time it didn't seem that big of a deal So you said that was the first five years. What was life like once I'm you graduated? Sorry, Say again? I'm sorry, my phone broke out or broke up. Oh, no, that's okay. I was saying that was the first five years. What was it like when you graduated high school? Or also, real quick, just remind me, what what age were you when you got into the, the accident? I was 15. I'd only been 15 for a month. And you got into that horrific accident. So. Were you prescribed painkillers and stuff? Yes, I was. And I never in a million years would have thought that I would be fighting for my life from 15 to now. Um, I've been sober of opioids and benzodiazepines for um, since February 2nd of 2021. Um, I didn't start out abusing them. I took them as prescribed. And um, the weird thing with my spine is it's still broken. And I've had um, four failed spinal fusions. So I've had four other spine surgeries on top of it. Um, And they all failed. So back then they prescribed me Vicodin for pain. I had this attitude at first that can't live your life on pain pills. And then I got this pain doctor who was like, oh, no, no, yeah, you can. Mm, no, um, it, I didn't realize, like, so I went all of high school taking opioids. Yep, you broke up. Sorry, I don't know where we went. It, like, oh, just there you shut are. out. Yeah, so, so you were <laughs> Sorry doing, about that. Yeah, no problem. So I think you were talking about taking opioids. Yeah. Um, so at first, they were just five milligram Vicodins I could have every six hours. Um, they helped with pain. Um, I was drinking and using marijuana on top of it. Um, I was not dependent on them yet in high school. I wasn't physically dependent on them or um, psychologically. Uh, looking back, it's really scary how men, how much um, pain medicine they were giving me and like how willy-nilly with the prescribing. Like I just they'd hand me off from doctor to doctor and um just no supervision I didn't know how powerful these medications were I didn't know you know you see people like in movies going through heroin withdrawal or you know whatever but uh god 
that like I'm really really fortunate to um to be alive that I didn't uh overdose back in high school when I was you know really naive about all that stuff thinking nothing can hurt me I just survived a huge car wreck I don't think opiates are gonna hurt me but they hurt me more than I know um I graduated high school at 17 in 2008 um and I went to Creighton that was my first pick for college first one in my family to go to college went for nursing school and um opioids derailed my nursing career um that's when I started freshman year of college 18 yeah that's when I started to get dependent and um I think by then like I'd had Percocet and Vicodin but that was like the heart like the most outpatient and then I See, at the same time, my dad had multiple prescriptions for pain medicine from multiple doctors. I didn't have that, just one doctor. Um, and he would give me his Darvacet and Vicodin too. Like we'd share them. Like looking back, it's not good at all. <laughs> um, so I failed a drug test for nursing school and they were going to have a hearing because I told him the truth about because you know they wanted to know if I had a prescription for the Darvacet. Darvacet's no longer on the market, um, and I didn't have a prescription, so I told them, "Yeah, my, I, yeah, I don't have a prescription. It was given to me, and that was enough to take me out of nursing school and um, make me change my major. So I ended up um, transferring to UNMC." Uh, University of Nebraska Med Center and went to nursing school there almost finished with my bachelor's and I failed another drug test for the same medication Darvacet they made me go like mandatory drug counseling and things like that but um by that point if I didn't have my medicine like I was sick like I started to go into withdrawal and so that's really like when things started to take off like uh I guess weed has always been around me like I still use it um still have a broken spine I try not to use it very much I just deal with the chronic pain now it's no fun um but yeah so that's that's this um and they put me on Valium when I was 15 too and so not only did I have to get off opioids, I had to get off uh, benzodiazepines too. All while all this is being mixed. And um, I didn't realize seriously um, and how much danger I was in until the past couple of years. I could have, I'm very fortunate to be alive. <clears throat> Why do you say that? What kind of stuff were you doing that risked your life? Oh my gosh, I could have. I could have overdosed mixing alcohol with prescription medications. Um, the, so more about the pain medicine. So by 21, um, 
I was in nursing school. I had my first spine surgery. So this was 2011. And it, they all failed. So I was putting all of my hopes into, oh, everything would be okay with a, you know, with a magical surgical fix. How naive, how silly of me to think that. I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't. Um, I started taking more than I was supposed to, like, like a pill extra here or there. Um, the doctor I had, I had so many doctors and just got passed around and they were just throwing pain meds at me left and right. And there was like no quantity limit on how, like what they were giving me. Like it was a lot. And the same thing with the Valium. So just mixing benzos and opiates, that's a deadly combination. Um, I used to get um, like dilated and morphine. So once I started getting a tolerance, you know, to like Vicodin and codeine, you know, not the lower pain medicines, but the not so potent, whatever you want to say. Understood. Um, yeah, by 21, I had had every opioid out there, and I had a pain doctor who decided to put me on pure methadone, no Narcan, which they use only for severe, severe pain um, in non, like, that doesn't respond to other opioids, and I was hooked. I did not realize how dangerous methadone and Valium are together and Vicodin on top of it. Like I, uh, I got a DUI from driving on my pain medicine, crashed my car 21 shortly after I started the methadone. Um, I was taking it as prescribed. I didn't realize how potent it was. And so you know, I could have killed someone then. I could have killed myself driving like that. Like, I don't even remember driving. Um, I was so medicated that there's pictures of me slumped over, not conscious. It's really upsetting. Uh, people took videos of when I would, I call it nodding like nodding and I didn't realize it was my medicine at the time and the amount of medication they had me on um, the doctor I had ended up getting in trouble with the FBI for the amount of prescriptions and it, it it was not a fun life like I just lived from prescription to prescription like my whole life revolved around my pills. And then on top of it, um, I started when I was 17, I tried cocaine for the first time, loved it, still love it. Haven't done it in a long time. Uh, so that's dangerous. Um, eventually I started, um, started doing um I never 
only drug I haven't done is like heroin, fentanyl. I haven't, I never went out of my way to find that stuff. So when I was like mm, 22, 23, that's when I started. No, 21. Yeah, when I was 21. I started um, experimenting with meth, acid, taking my pills with alcohol. Like I could drink a fifth, like a handle, like a fifth and still be so sober and I'm only five foot four and 130 pounds that's a lot yeah that's that's a lot a lot so just mixing all those medications and all those drugs being so little and putting myself around not safe people around drug dealers gangs um I uh stripped escorted it really led into a full crisis were you living on your own <clears throat> that you had to go strip? I moved out at 17. Okay. And I was, um, I lived, so I moved out after high school. I moved into the dorms. And after I was there for a semester and then was removed from the program and moved back in with my maternal grandparents um and then my mom dad and two younger brothers they still lived at our family house but um his drinking and drug use had gotten really bad my father's and he ended up losing our um house our family house when I was 21 and so they were homeless um and my mom and brother being special needs um it's always been the understanding that I'm going to be their caregivers so that's always been a weight on my shoulders, which is fine. Uh, so I didn't know what way to go make faster money to try and help my dad and my family out other than uh, to go do that. And that was the worst thing I could have done. Unfortunately, it's not the first time I've heard this story. And one of the things I kind of always ask is, was it scary for you doing that? <clears throat> It It must have been really nerve wracking. I, because me personally, I cannot imagine doing that because I think I'd be too embarrassed. That's the main reason. I think what played into it was I already had this predisposition, this like, you know, thinking I was only good for sex and thinking the only way to get love and attention was that I guess I don't obviously that's not true um yeah it was scary it was really dangerous it ended up getting I ended up getting trafficked uh human trafficked out of it and the FBI helped me get out of that how did that happen (laughs) oh man so um and you know one of some of the videos are still out there from 10 years ago Um, this was 2015 and this guy, he said he was a porn producer and I had it that mindset. Okay, well, I can do the porn business, I guess. I just don't want to be behind camera. Like it absolutely ate my soul away to do that for money. 
but I guess I thought I could live with it. Um, so this guy told me he was a producer looking for a uh, administrative assistant, and I should have known better. There was no paperwork. He didn't have me sign anything. I didn't do my due diligence. Like looking back at it now, there's so many red flags. Uh, but at the time, I didn't know. Um, and so it started out as like helping him find talent. And we went across state lines. He drove a meat freezer van. I should have uh -huh. known something was with, like, like, like a, a creepy van. It was really creepy looking back on it. Um, he's in prison now, but um, he he didn't have all the proper paperwork, and it was, I guess I thought maybe it was amateur. Um, but then he started asking me to sleep with him and saying I love you and all this weird shit I was like no no I'm good and then he he was just so unrelentless about it I guess I stopped fighting because people take advantage of people um who are in economic despair that definitely happened um man, this guy took advantage of me. Uh, you know, he, he had me um, audition these men. Uh, one time there was seven right in a row at some smoke shop. Like it, like so unprofessional, like no one in the business legitimately would do that. I didn't know that at the time. So I, uh, he takes me and three other girls to get uh, STD tested at Planned Parenthood and I was crying and it was like he was getting tested too like it was so weird uh and the nurse has me in the room I don't know like I was shaking like I was uncomfortable it, it was so uncomfortable uh and I just told her what was really going on and told her yeah this is supposed to be a porn production company well it turns out there was never any company there's nothing like that. So the FBI showed up um, at the Women's Center for Advancement and told them what was going on. Didn't know how to get away from this guy. Corey was his name. Um, gave them the information. They looked into it. And uh, they, they sent him away. He didn't want to go. Like He was like adamant on taking me back like not leaving me there so that should have been like my first clue uh, but that's how that's how they got me out um and then they did some investigating and and sent them to prison uh it could have been a lot worse i'm really really fortunate once you got out of uh that situation how was your drug use what was it like is it still going on heavy Absolutely, if not more. Um, I decided to like private dance, and all the girls that I met were using meth and coke. So I started to get into coke pretty heavy. Um, I was 23. Then I moved to intravenous cocaine use, tried shooting up a few times. That didn't work out. Haven't done it since, never will can't believe I did that 
Um, but yeah, I was going down a really bad route fast. And uh, I, I can thank my grandparents for getting me some help. And also I was getting into legal trouble, like the DUI and um, a friend was shoplifting and I was guilty by association. Um, I got drugged at a park and uh, passed out and woke up laying in the street. I was 25 and uh, I haven't been in trouble since then. And this chick roofied me at a club. She told me her boyfriend was beating on her. So I gave her a ride and no, she stole my Valium and my weed. And the uh, cops found me. And so, so it was not going in a good direction. Not at all. I fully expected to die. Didn't care if I died. Didn't care what happened to me. I really didn't, which is really sad. Really, really sad. And now <clears throat> my youngest brother has um, a really bad drug addiction now. So if I can be the one addict in my family that gets out, I'll be happy. So when was the first time you realized you had a problem? <clears throat> when I got my DUI, that uh, driving under the influence of drugs, I had no alcohol in my system. It was all pain pills and weed. I don't even remember being at the jail. Like I was so snowed. Um, when I got in trouble for failing a drug test at nursing school, that kind of. But then when I got my DUI two years later, um, obviously I kind of knew I had a problem. Kind of. Um, although didn't think I needed treatment or anything and no one was going to get me off the pain medicine. I don't care what they said. Uh, that was my view then. So me like completely giving up my life for pain control and those medications that, that was the first big flag, you know, of having a problem. What did you do about it once you realized? <clears throat> oh, man. I was on probation several times. I kept failing the drug test. I'm really surprised I didn't go to jail. I don't know why my probation officer didn't flag me, but that's okay. Um, went to AA, NA. Uh, therapy. Uh, I now see a psychiatrist, uh, an addiction, specifically, it was an addiction psychiatrist and an addiction therapist that got me to the success where I am today. So I tried multiple times to, multiple, oh my God, so many times to stop the pain medicine. That never worked. Um, I kind of, I kind of just flew under the radar, to be honest with you. Like I wasn't really getting, and it's like people kind of ignored, kind of ignored it. I, I don't know. 
Um, everyone just told me to get help. And so I tried, like I said, I tried AA and NA and um, my little brother was in trouble at that time. And so we were doing AA and NA together and um, church. I guess I didn't really try that hard, to be honest. I was in a lot of denial. Now that I'm really sitting here and thinking about it, that was the most I kind of. It's like I had doctors tell me you have a problem, but no one ever really told me about until I decided finally in February of last year that I just could not, I couldn't live. It was either I die or something. Um, because that was no life to live and um, decided I found the addiction psychiatrist and addiction therapist and doctor and they got me off the methadone. I de detoxed for two weeks. That was horrendous and detoxing from benzos. That was horrendous. Um, I did that several times with the benzodiazepines that took longer to kick. Um, so I've been sober of opiates since February 2nd of 2021. Um, and I see the therapist once a week, like even though I'm uh, in sustained remission and on Suboxone, which saved my life. I lost a hundred pounds. Who would have known that the methadone was making me weigh 100, 220 pounds? It's not my normal weight. Like I did not look like myself. Like I would, now I look like me. I look so bad before and sick that's kind of upsetting so that's what I did cut people out that were not good for me things like that so once <clears throat> once you found this psychologist or psychiatrist have you relapsed since then <clears throat> I have not relapsed at all off the opiates. I am so, so proud of myself. Like I didn't think I would be sitting here being able to say that. Uh, I made it a point to get rid of uh, people in my life that used. Um, I was best friends with my, uh, my brother that's six years younger than me. Um, he wasn't so fortunate with the drugs he's still struggling um and that's sad to see um i've been sober from benzos um, i tried killing myself in march because of domestic violence that's something also that's been big in my life is domestic violence and i find that drug and alcohol abuse go hand in hand with that, I've been through um, domestic violence shelters and things like that. So two years ago, left an ex-fiance that was abusing me and the Salvation Army helped me get in a sober living house, like a sober living apartment and um, things like that. I didn't have a choice but to change. And also the doctor that was prescribing me the medications, like the morphine and all that, she was going to prison and no one else would prescribe me any of those medications. So I also didn't really have a choice but to either go to heroin 
or street pills, you know, or just pull the trigger and move on with my life if I can. I still use marijuana. I don't drink. It doesn't agree with me. I'll have like a drink here and there, but I haven't gotten drunk in years. Once I started the pain medicine, like heavy, it just made me throw up. No one likes to throw up. We no. doesn't make me throw up. So I chose. So I, in my opinion, I'm, I'm sober. I don't know. I use marijuana as like an actual medicine. I used to use it way more, but now it's just here and there. So, so those were the things I did and, um, never had a sponsor, never worked the steps. A lot of this was on sheer willpower, like, and having no, it's like either that or die. That was really what it came down to. Or, you know, just keep living this horrible life. And luckily there was people that cared about me um, when I didn't care about myself. And um, these doctors have helped me see that I'm worth it. And uh, suicide's not the answer. Never is. So that's, uh, that's my story. So, thank you for sharing. My, I have two last questions. <clears throat> how do you stay? How do you stay sober nowadays? <clears throat> I don't have a lot. Okay, I get drug tested by choice, randomly, so that helps keep me accountable. I weaned myself off the Suboxone. It made me so sick. Oh my god, I lost a hundred pounds. Um, my favorite show is Intervention. I really, really, really wanted to be a nurse in a um, drug rehab facility. That was my whole thing when I was in nursing school, you know, to help others. Um, so helping others helps me. Um, I go to this program called Community Alliance, and um, it's like a daytime mental health respite program. And they help you live. It's like people who have had addictions and mental illness and things like that. Cause I've struggled with uh, major depression disorder and PTSD and, you know, other things. Um, so we go there and they just give us extra support. Like they give you like housing support and counseling and extra therapists. And so I go Monday through Friday. It's kind of like an outpatient program, but for mental health too. A lot of it is keeping myself accountable. I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't go to AA or NA. I don't know how I'm doing this. Like I probably uh -huh. should. I don't know how other than I do not want to die. Like I had overdosed accidentally several times. And like looking at those pictures of me where I'm slumped over or watching intervention and like seeing, you know, just seeing everything. Um, you get tired of living it too. And then also I want to be like an inspiration to my brother. I don't want him to, his big thing is meth. So I, 
I hope like I, I blame myself for him doing drugs because he started smoking with me. So I say only one in three addicts make it. So I spend a lot of time with family. Yeah. I don't know how I'm doing it. I'm doing it. That's all I know. That's all that matters is that you're doing it. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Like uh, having social support helps greatly. It helps really greatly. Maybe I should go back to AA. It's not bad. I just never had a sponsor work the steps. And there's not very many people out there that are sober that haven't. So my last question to you is, do you have any advice for people watching and listening? No one is promised tomorrow, no matter sober or not. And there is always help. We're not alone. I've I suffered alone for no reason other than being afraid to trust and things like that. Um, you know, be an advocate for yourself, you know, educate yourself about drugs and alcohol and all the different things out there. And um, oh my gosh, there's, I don't know if, if you need help, there's someone out there, uh, whether it be like NAMI or AA or like uh, rehab. Like it's not a death sentence. Like it doesn't, you don't have to live your life every day that way. I thought I was doomed to be on pain meds the rest of my life, miserable, sick. but that's not true. And just living one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time, you know, whatever it takes for, uh, for you to get through the day and not to, uh, not to be so hard on yourself because uh, relapse is part of um, recovery. And if you fall off the horse, so be it. Just What's important is how you get yourself up and keep writing. That's that's my advice. Um, and and no one is like not celebrities, not politicians, like no one is immune to the disease of addiction. It can hit a homeless man or a billionaire. You know, it could hit a housewife, garbage man. It don't matter. It affects everyone. But um, not to give up hope that's that's my message and that's a great message thank you did I'm you 31 and there's so much more life to live i can only if i've lived this much life in 16 years i can only imagine what the next 50 years holds yeah all right well that's a good place to wrap up i really appreciate you doing this today yeah, thank you, Jim, so much. All right, so hang tight. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you heard and saw, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. 
You can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. So also check out our website, www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find a lot of approved literature as well as resources available for everybody. So that's all I have for today. And until next time.